0: I'm Yasi Salik, and I'm the host of Bandsplain, a show where we explain cult bands and iconic artists by going deep into their histories and discographies. We're back with a brand new season at our brand new home, the Ringer Podcast Network, tackling a whole new batch of artists, from grunge gods to power pop pioneers to new metal
1: legends and many, many more. Listen to new episodes every Thursday, only on Spotify.
2: Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast. I'm Misokwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing?
0: I am all right, thanks man. How are you?
2: I'm good. Uh, (laughs) I've got a strange habit at the moment. What is it? I think I've fully caught the Berlin bug. I'm just wearing like all black everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) I think I bought this vast black Arsene Wenger style overcoat and ever since then I've just been like, oh, I wear black with that and I wear that and then all of a sudden I'm just like, yeah. And someone's like, oh. On way to Burkheim, Musa. Someone else said it. <laughs> no way. Yeah, yeah, but I, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Roll neck. everything's tucked in. I'm loving it. It's a vibe. Because yeah. <laughs> 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 you're usually so so bright with the palette. Yeah, I've just gone off the piece. They've gone. I've changed. Switched up. He's changed. It's all good. Yeah, I've changed. I've changed.
0: After the Manchester I, derby, you changed. Exactly. It was like of, you went into morning. you like, the of you morning. like the footballing version of Queen Victoria. <laughs> you can spend <laughs> the, the next 50 years after the Derby in mourning, only wearing black. Walking behind United's hearse. Oh my goodness. Oh no. Oh, oh no. Oh no. Oh we, dear. We got cooked. Listen. Hey, listen. It happens, it's wild. Happens, everyone's got to get cooked sometimes. Everybody's got to get yeah, cooked, cooked sometimes.
2: Cooked <laughs> yeah, no, har- many. There's too many syllables for that version. i harmonising now.
0: <laughs> uh, it happens, man. Don't worry. can relate. Yeah. Hard relate. Hard scene. I'm just, you know, relieved of a weekend of not getting cooked. Yeah, yeah, it's always pleasant if you don't get cooked. Yep, we uh, we hope everyone's staying safe and well at the moment. There's mm. some horrible stuff going on, and mm. we hope everyone, anyone who is around that is okay. Um, mm. uh, just some quick admin Wright's house this week will be Jeanette and Flo. Uh, so make sure you go and subscribe to Wright's house, it's on its own feed now. Other than that, you're doing a piece of ringer. I heard.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm writing a piece about growing old gracefully as an elite footballer, because there's something, yeah, there's just something about footballers who adjust to maybe their lack of pace and physicality as they get older and how they use that adjustment to serve the team really well. And the focus of the piece actually is Tony Cruz, and I mentioned him before, but he's someone who actually, I've been watching some recent interviews, he really, really fronts up. There's an interview he does uh, when they lose the PSG 1-0. And he's out like in the pouring rain afterwards and he's talking through and they're dissecting the result and he's basically like, yeah, we weren't good enough at this, at that. And I was like, you know what, actually, credit to players who come out after very tough defeats like that, very public and in some sense quite humiliating defeats and really just, and just confess like this wasn't good enough and explain exactly why it wasn't good enough. That's not something everyone's temperamentally suited to, but the piece is kind of about that. It's about a realistic reckoning with ageing. And I, I don't know, it feels like a, a timely thing to write.
0: It's really interesting because someone um, emailed us this weekend asking whether you'd be interested in doing something, and I said that I wasn't going to forward it on out of respect for your great career. <laughs>
1: oh, oh,
2: oh, 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 oh. That the ten yeah. So for those who don't get the reference, so Ten Hag, <laughs> Eric Ten Hag after the game, was asked why he didn't bring on Ronaldo, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, and he said, um, "I did bring him on partly out of respect for his great career." So basically, like he said, I don't want to throw this man into the, <laughs> into the firestorm of, of the, uh, of the Man City, Gagan Press. Very
0: odd comment. Not going to lie. There was a lot of very odd stuff coming out of that United performance, to be honest. yeah, I mean, we'll um, touch on that yeah. later, but. Um, yeah, we will. We will. Th- that, that didn't actually happen, by the way. We didn't get an email. We I did forward, not. I either forward everything or I say, get out of here. <laughs> I think this is. I don't want it to be mischievous, but there are, we do get a lot of emails where I do feel I just responded saying, good sir, this is a podcast. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Listen. So today we're going to, we're going to focus on the two derbies, Mm. the uh, North London derby and the Manchester derby. We're going to focus on those two. We're going to touch on a little bit of other stuff to do with the Premier League and just jump around Europe a little bit. Mm. But we want to start with the horrible, horrible news out of Indonesia. At the time of recording, I think it's, it was, the last number I saw was 174 confirmed yeah. deaths at,
2: after crowd unrest. East Java, a derby between Arima FC and Persibaya Surabaya. Mm. So the context of this is that's such an intense rivalry. Shout out to the Guardian for some great reporting. Such intense rivalry that Persibaya fans were not actually allowed in the Arima Stadium. It was the first win for Persibaya in that stadium in 23 years. Wow. So like massive tension. So fans go down onto the pitch after the game. Many more fans join them on the pitch. Then what happens is, this is the aggravating factor. Police let off tear gas within the stadium, which is contrary to FIFA guidance. Fans start panicking. There's tens of thousands of fans on the pitch at this point. Fans start panicking, run towards very narrow exits, and then all hell breaks loose. Some fans are trampled to death. Some fans die of asphyxiation, either in the tunnel or, it's stated by some fans, from asphyxiation through the tear gas itself. So the whole thing is just an absolute horror. It's an absolute horror. It's
0: so sad. Yeah, just awful. Just awful. Just a horrible, horrible situation and sending out all the love to anyone who was affected by that and all of the families of all the victims and stuff. It's just horrible. Mm. There was a game on Sunday in France as well. Toulouse and Montpellier got stopped momentarily, reportedly due to a release of tear gas on the pitch. Tear gas specifically is such a dangerous weapon to use in Mm a crowded environment, I mean, every, anywhere, but especially in a crowded environment, we've seen numerous, outside of football, we've seen numerous situations escalate to a, to a level that they really didn't need to, despite them obviously not being great situations in the first place. Mm. The release of tear gas into us, into a crowd, it's just such a horribly dangerous thing to do. You know, the
2: thing, the key word there is escalation. You know, when you have a game like this, obviously there's tension already. Yeah. Um, just given the surrounding context we learned it before, there's already tension with it. And that's where you really need that experience of the officers attending and the stewards, but also you need a clear plan, right? A clear plan at all times. Need a plan for when some fans get on the pitch because inevitably some fans will get on the pitch just because you just can't keep them all off. You know, player protection and then just open up all the stadium exits and let people just flow out, get the players down. and But whatever the kind of plan is, there needs to be some clear... I don't know what he call it, a chain of, chain of command or something, because clearly this is a situation where it just gets away
0: from the officials and the stewards. In situations like that, the, the priority has to be de-escalation. And we see mm. far too many times that it's, it's actually the opposite and it's so dangerous because you're dealing with very highly emotionally charged, potentially aggressive fans in this mm. case. yeah, But you're, you've got body armour and weapons and a tactical unit Mm. And it's just not I don't know, it just it just it very quickly turns into a battle when it shouldn't be. I think yeah, yeah, situations absolutely. like this and absolutely. it's just such a it's such a tragedy and it's just so sad.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents
0: Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel, tis crunchy yet soft, tis filling yet has a hole, tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate.
1: Thomas's, huzzah, a toast to breakfast.
0: I think we begin in Manchester, don't you? I think that's right, yeah, I think that's right. So, headline obviously, Manchester City 6, Manchester United 3, a hat-trick from Phil Foden and a hat-trick from Erlen Haaland. Um, Manchester United won the second half yeah but also this
2: scoreline does not reflect nothing about this scoreline reflects nothing about the stats even reflect the dominance I was 54% uh, possession for City 46 Mm. for United that doesn't reflect what happened in this game this was the opening half hour of this game was absolutely spectacular for Manchester City It it was unbelievable The speed they were moving the ball through gaps. You know, it was so strange. It was difficult to blame individual Manchester City United players for what was going wrong because they were overwhelmed as a team. Mm. This is the thing about what City were doing. United clearly came to play football, right? You have an Ericsson, McTominay midfield. The amount of times they were just bypassed, spectacularly so. They just went around United routinely. And this is not even a kind of specific criticism of individual players and like, you know, pressing because they had their plans. But I really honestly think this was a key moment where the sheer speed of what City were doing was just impossible for United to get there because it wasn't like they didn't have a plan. They had a pressing plan, but I just don't think you can train. How do I say this? Like, Ericton Hard clearly had a plan, right, for mm. City. But it was like, whenever the plan arrived, City were gone two, three seconds before. And it was that simple, actually, in many cases. They were all spectacular, like Greedish didn't get an assist, didn't get a goal but he was brilliant. This is what he was signed for, for um, Manchester City. And some will criticise if Grealish doesn't score enough. Grealish's role in this game, as it has been in previous games, is to break lines, is to switch play, is to keep the ball high up the field and not lose. A bit like Sam Nasri did for um, City a few years yeah. back. Get the ball high up the, pot, high up the pitch, stretch the play. And the way they stretched it, you know, it was, I actually tweeted, and not trying to, I wasn't trying to be facetious, maybe a little bit, but I was just like, Phil Foden has a hat trick and he's arguably not even close to being man of the match. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like just because that's how good, that's how good City were. That's how good City yeah. were. And this is and I, I talk this way to give credit because this was as spectacular a footballing demonstration as I've seen from them in a long time. And at this point, at this specific point on that form, they're the best team on the planet, I would say.
0: Yeah, when they when they when they're on it, they are so yeah. on it. When they click, nothing, yeah. Yeah. When I was watching it, the main thing that stood out to me was just the pure lack of visible weakness I suppose right absolutely and, yeah and City have always felt like they've had that in some in some aspects mm. they they they've fixed it they fixed certain things but then occasionally there may be like last season we said that the thing that might not get them over the line in the Champions League was playing a direct and actual number nine because I think that it just I mean we're repeating stuff we said but it will get them over it, it really matters for like five games a year Mm. You know, but as we've seen now with Holland, who I'm sure we'll talk about, it takes actually a lot of pressure off Man City. I think yeah. this has been the most intriguing thing about Holland. I think is that it seems to free everyone else up because yes. they know that, like Gundogan, could come in and sit in the deep midfield role for Rodri, who's missing. I love you mentioned this. I was going to mention this. And essentially focus yeah. on being Gundogan. I thought and I was going to mention like a this.
2: The, being like a false nine. I was going to mention know. this, yeah. It takes the defensive pressure off. So now what happens is, when you remove Rodri, it weirdly almost helped them because it was like, if we don't have a Rodri there, we have to be fluid. Yeah. We have to be fluid and keep the ball moving because our
0: defence is just not to lose possession in certain areas. But it's a testament to how good Manchester City were by the fact that without Rodri, Manchester United still couldn't find a way no. to just go direct through the midfield. And they could have done And there was a, there was a point actually that I think... Um, I think it was highlighted on Match of the Day where Marcus Rashford gets the ball in the centre circle and he has space to turn and drive at the Man City back line. He's basically in acres of space. And he just gives possession back to Manchester City. That is a prime example of what... I think this was in the first half, actually, and I think mm. what, I, what I feel Manchester United maybe felt so overwhelmed by what was happening to them that they actually couldn't think strategically because yeah. there were little pockets where if they'd had a little bit more composure the removal of Rodri against a back, a centre-back pairing of Akanji, who we'll talk about actually because we need to talk about and we had a few questions wow. about Mamo Akanji. Hey, but listen, Nathan Ake, Ake as well. Wow. But those two haven't really played that much together. I'm not, I'm not sure if they've played at all. Um, That's the first time has been together, in there think, and obviously yeah. Ruben Diaz has been in there. In there. But that is a, an inexperienced pairing, let's say. They're not inexperienced yes. individuals, but it's an inexperienced pairing. That's fair, yes. And that's an opportunity. So even in a game like this, where Manchester City probably could have had like 10, really. Mm. Yeah, yeah, they could have. And, and I know the X, you know, everyone's just like, well, the XG actually says 3.32. But, but you know, they could have done better with a lot of opportunities. Yes. There were still opportunities for Manchester United to drive at City early on in that first half when they did get out that maybe they don't go in 4-0 down. But you know what
2: happened though? This is the thing to really emphasise with the the misleading thing about the possession stats and all the rest of it. Manchester City almost seemed to concede possession when they were bored of it.
0: Yeah, yeah. In the second half, they were kind of like... United
2: United would get the ball. And the thing is, even when you've got that space, Ryan, the problem is psychologically, you have not had the ball for two minutes. You haven't had the ball for two minutes. So when you get it, you panic because you're not used to it. There was a point that United went through a few years ago where they were really having a struggle uh, with their wingers to finish, right? Their wingers were snatching at chances. It's because they were getting so few. Mm. And the same thing again here with United. So often, like City had the ball and did what they wanted with it. There was one point actually, I think it might be early in the second half when it's incredible. One touch out of defence, it goes from De Bruyne to Holland. Holland plays it to the flanks, and they all go up and join them. And it's such a fast counter, and it could have been a counter to a goal, but instead they slow the play down, rotate it, and it comes round again. I'm just like whoa, like they're playing fast or slow and they're doing whatever they want with it. And to be honest, I almost, when I saw the pass count at the end of the game, I was I almost didn't believe it because it felt like City had the ball for three times as many passes, but it wasn't. It was because the passes were actually longer. And this is the funny thing about it. With Pep, with Pep's man City, Pep's uh, Barcelona, a lot of it was characterized by really, really, really short passes. With City, it's almost like He's taken that short passing and just stretched the passes. So now instead of like five passes, they're like fifteen, right? They're just as quick, but they're just like over a longer distance. And the thing I was thinking when I watched Holland at the top of that attack, because he posted some incredible stat about goals per touch, right? It was ridiculous. It's like at one point. It was like one, like one, 14 goals per touch, right? So fourteen, <laughs> 14 goals, fourteen touches per goal. Not like quite, quite that good. But I remember thinking. Watching Man City with Holland peak fitness and peak form and then playing like this is basically what it looks like when the Death Star is like fully operational. Like this is, it's very rare you see peak Man City, but this is actually, this is, it's, this is not far off peak Man City.
0: Do you remember, um, it's interesting that you pull up the Death Star analogy, which uh, just for the there is a tweet of you saying it around a decade ago. Ha 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 ha. <laughs> I, rec- I think it was after City played Gladbach in the Champions League a couple of years ago we were talking about their process uh, uh, similar to almost like a constrictor mm. the way that they move the ball around and they kind of trap you and they switched it I think they scored a goal against Gladbach where they were really pressing them on the left hand side and they just kept the ball for ages switched it to the right the back post and Gladbach was just like what do we do we don- you can't deal with that yeah yeah, actually. you can't actually. get out can't get out of using here using that same analogy with Holland. what I think they do now it's because they have such an instant way to hurt you that doesn't require 30-odd passes like Pep says. You remember in yeah. Pep's old thing, you need 27 passes or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. You can only have full control of the football pitch when you have 27 passes. Uh, yeah, some wild,
2: what is it, like 14 or whatever, yeah, some wild amount of stats, yeah.
0: But now with Holland, they don't have that. They, they, no. Well, they don't need that. They can hurt you in an instant. It kind of reminds me, using that same analogy with the constrictor, of when like pythons just chill and they wait for their prey to wriggle. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah, it's actually yeah. like, if you're going to wriggle, it's going to be worse for you. And they're just kind of like I'm That's easy. Exactly That's what right. giving possession back to Manchester United was like on Sunday, because they were like, "We're four 0 up. We actually don't need to do shit." Yeah, it's true. It's true. You get Anthony scored this absolute wonder goal. There's a, there's a couple things I want to mention.
2: The first thing about um, the Python just chilling. There was a moment where you saw the Python <laughs> <That's> t- chilling.
0: <laughs> Sorry, find me another football podcast that says I just want to go back to the Python chilling for a second. Yeah,
2: yeah. So, <laughs> so like, there's a bit when Holland I think it was at three or four 0 when. Yeah. Uh, when United get a shot off and Haaland just turns around, he's like telling them to calm down. And he's like, and that's 4-0 up. He's going, listen, like control the tempo of this. Even at 4-0, we need to shut this thing down. He's like, if we play fast, like they do, they'll get back into this. And I thought it was really interesting in terms of him calling for a control of game tempo, right? Like, and how integrated he is in the team already. Uh, the next thing to talk about with um, Anthony and, and helping the team Look, this is the thing. They were just so far apart, all of them. It's actually difficult to signal out uh, to single out an individual that was unusually bad because all over the field, every single United player was just outmatched. And this is the thing. There was a lot of talk before the game about um, the failure to bring to start Casemiro, and I always thought, well, there must have been something in training that's happened that he thinks that Casemiro is not ready for this yet. Maybe there's a conditioning issue. Maybe it's fitness. I don't know what it is. But, you know, not starting Casimir in a game like this, it signals the desire to, to play City at their own game. But actually, that was never going to work. That was just never going to work. it, in a, in a, in a, You know, Manchester United are three years away from being able to play City like that. On the front foot and get away with it. They really are like, and actually, maybe most teams in in most teams in the Premier League are, unfortunately. So yeah, this was a this was a hard lesson. Most teams, most teams. This was a hard lesson for um, for United. No question.
0: I mean, it was, but I think it's a lesson that they've had already. this season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah. no, I think dealing. Uh, I think it's very. Like judging Manchester United on how they perform against Manchester City, I still think is a little bit. It's like it's not really where you want to grade the where you want to be grading them. I think mm. there's there's a slight difference because I know a lot of fans will be like, "No, come on, it's a derby!" Like, hang on a minute, and I get mm. that. I do get that. Mm. I I remember you know even when Arsenal were losing. For, for, speaking from my experience as a fan, like when Arsenal were losing, like you know, I don't know five nil or whatever to Man City, which they might still do this season, by the way. Um, it was a bit like, yeah, I get it. It's really it's really annoying to watch and it's a real like, it's a real downer. But it's almost like using F1 as an analogy, it's kind of like when you hear, you see drivers get overtaken, they're like, that's not our fight today. We're actually fighting, like McLaren aren't, there's no point McLaren getting really, really upset because a Red Bull has overtaken them. Yeah, right. They need to focus on Alpine. Yeah. You know, that's the battle. That's the level, exactly, exactly. And I think for Manchester United, it's Champions League. So it's, Spurs, it's Arsenal and I mean you know if you look at that they've already got a result over Arsenal which is a good mm. thing it's teams around them and teams who are below them that's the thing like Liverpool yeah. and, and and it's a real the real, the real gut punch for Manchester United is that the two teams actually that they probably shouldn't grade their performances on are the two teams that they hate the most in the league mm. so like Liverpool and Manchester City now weirdly Liverpool this season are obviously we'll maybe talk about them a little bit later but even you know so, what? I still yeah. think that Manchester United just need to worry about everyone else and compartmentalise this result. Take as much as you can from it in terms of like, right, these are the levels. Because this, I think, is what Arteta did with, with Arsenal's poor results against City. It's like, this is the level, actually. Mm. Let yeah. this be a lesson to you of where we're trying to get to. Don't worry about it because we're not yet there, we're not there yet. And actually, if I think this this stuff around Ronaldo wasn't there I think it would probably be a lot easier for Ten Hag to relay that message to the players you know which I mean about process and learning and stuff like that yeah. I think when you, maybe Casemiro as well is a little bit of a tricky one because you've got an experienced 30 year old who's won loads of Champions League has cost a lot of money and he's not playing mm. and maybe he doesn't fit maybe tactically here's the thing maybe, like, maybe but then why maybe
2: doesn't work money? well yeah absolutely
0: but, I, mean, expect- I mean, this is, I know I'm throwing out a little bit, this sounds like a little bit of kind of like, hey, United fans, don't be don't be too down about it because it's going to fucking hurt like hell that result. But what I'm saying is, I've seen a bit of a talk about like, is Ten Hag doing, is this, the is Ten Hag the right guy? And I'm like, don't be asking that after a defeat to Manchester City at their place. Mm. Also, the stats about all the Manchester United managers since Sir Alex Ferguson have lost their first derby at the at the Etihad. You know, but also... Can so I be Martin honest United, as well? Manchester United have had some joy there. Can I be honest? If he'd
2: sat deep, and here's the thing as well. Exactly. If Tanaka yes. had, had gone there, having spent quarter of a billion, they spent quarter of a billion since the defeat to Brentford, and they'd gone to the Etihad is that and sat deep on a counterpunch. They sat deep at a counterpunch. I think, I think it's since then. It's like they spent 100 on, 100 on uh, Anthony, Anthony, 60, 60 on, on Casemiro. Casemiro. I think that is since the... Um, I don't know if it's, I don't know, sorry, let me, correction, I don't think it's uh, that no, much I think since... Anthony signed after Brentford. I think they both signed after Brentford. So it's 160 after Brentford, not, not that, yeah. Wild. But still. So, what I will say is this, if they'd gone there and sat deep and counterpunched, there would have been a lot of frustration about not playing like a big club. Mm-hmm. So he can be accused of, I don't think overconfidence is there. I think overconfidence is a bit strong. I think he can be accused of Perhaps this was a premature step. Uh, perhaps there was an element of, yeah, it was premature, I think. It was premature to think you can go there and play that style. It was a bit, I tried to play that way in 2016 mm. um, without the fullbacks he needed and just got, got cooked by, by different teams because he didn't have the style of play he needed to execute. And now mm. he's got Walker, it's very different and Cancelo is very different. But anyway, uh, credit to Manchester City and to Guardiola and to Holland. And you saw his well, father. You saw his father celebrating in the
0: stands. We did. No, no and he, he got meant. he got left. He got left hanging big time on a high five. Oh, who left him? <laughs> ages <laughs> when he was reaching like, across. For, I was just like, cut <laughs> away, camera, cut away. Lip. <laughs> <laughs> like this is horrible. Cut away, cut away. Why are they still showing this? <laughs> he was hugging someone. He had his hand up trying to high five one of his other friends, and they left him hanging for so long.
2: I mean, there was a lot of joy. There was a lot of joy in that stadium uh, among City fans. Has to be said. A couple of things I want to talk about
0: quickly. So we had a few questions. We had a load of questions from about Holland. We had a load of questions about um, uh, De Bruyne. A lot of questions about like, you know, this alien, this robot. This he's not human. Holland kind of thing. It's just like, yeah, he is. He's just really good. Like, come on. (laughs) Mm.
2: I mean, Um, here's 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 stoppable. We saw that in the Bundesliga. He is stoppable. stoppable. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, listen.
0: Premier League tax. Farmer's League. Premier (laughs) League tax. (laughs) Listen, do you want to hear some stats? Listen, listen. Riser Slouten says, (laughs) (laughs) Holland in the Bundesliga, 0.92 goals per game. Holland in the Premier League, 1.75 goals per game. He's on course for (laughs) 66 and a half goals this season in the Premier League. (laughs) Erling Holland. And the scary thing is, is that I can't see the rate slowing down. I mean, I know it will, but I can't see. I can't it see where. Down. Right, exactly. Do you know what I mean? Like, I can actually like. It's obviously going to slow down. Erling Haaland is obviously not going to score sixty-six goals in the Premier League this season.
2: But at the same time, but, isn't isn't he,
0: isn't he? He might score seventy.
2: That's the. <laughs> <point>. <laughs> Do you when Messi got like ninety goals in the calendar year, and just Messi just never stops. Sc- and, and no, we don't really talk about it enough.
0: If you think no, about, listen, it, it's honestly one of the greatest single seasons or single calendar years from any player ever. And it was just kind of like, eh, well, yeah, you know, like we, we got eighty talked- the year before. So Messi just went into Stella like ninety-one because he's like, oh, I've got to score more goals, and he just did it. He just did it. Yeah. Also, <laughs> though, Kevin De Bruyne is on course for thirty-eight league assists. His pass.
2: His pass for the second, for the second goal, goal is—he oh unre- hits it on God. the run. So I was sitting with a shout out to my uh, teammates. Uh, well, my my former teammates I used to play with. Uh, SFCN, we were out with them watching a game with the unicorns uh, on a friend's class about a friend's smartphone watching the game with his unlimited internet on his incredible deal. <laughs> don't know, Philip, I don't know how he got that deal, but it's unreal. So we're watching we're watching this game on, on, and um, one of uh, our centre backs, Conrad. Conrad's like the pass that he plays as a centre back, right? It's like Ferran is kind of screwed there because he sees the ball coming across. He lofts it. The way that De Bruyne hits it on the run, it gives him no time to adjust. He sees Holland making one run, but the the moment he sees him making the run, the ball's off the ground. It's like, you have to pick your poison. Do you go for the ball or attack the run in behind? And the moment De Bruyne hits that cross, he's doomed.
0: The delivery on that. Yeah, but also the thing is, this isn't a goal that City scored last season because the the, the thing that's happening with City at the moment goes back to what we were talking about before, about them being a little bit free. They don't mm-hmm. have to be as precise to hurt teams because the way that Haaland moves, how dynamic he is and how physical he is. Yes. The how, sing, how many people he operates singly yeah. means that actually Kevin De Bruyne can play that pass, whereas last season, that's probably Phil Foden stretching for that and he's not making it. And he allows him, there's the thing, because he's not involved
2: too much in the build-up play, um, well, he can be, I mean, he's good at the build-up, but because he's, he he's a allowed ass- to be- ex- He has
0: two great assists.
2: Well, I wanted to get into I to get into that actually because there's a Sorry. lot of talk about that. But um, no, no, you're absolutely. So what? What's happening is he can do the build up play. It's just that mm-hmm. it's not his prime responsibility. But when he has to, there was a moment when he drove that ball across. That incredible ball for Foden, um, so good. So I saw it and to my, I was talking to a friend and I said, "This is what it must have been like." If Stuart Pierce was ever unleashed, like in the final third, I <laughs> mean, because like just the, I was like, that's basically Stuart Pierce. the power and the accuracy on the left foot. I was like, he rips it. You know, this is the thing about City, right? They've done many things. You know, like the, you know, like, um, the Golden State Warriors brought back the three, well, they, they didn't bring it back, but the three ball, the three point shooting, the Golden State Warriors just made that like a thing, which was to be respected beyond anything, like the three point shooting. We, it's not they didn't, they didn't originate that, the Houston Rockets in the modern era were also like big three-point shooters, but the guns that were has really made it the kind of the, the marquee thing to do. What Man City have done for the driven square pass, coaches all over the world must be thankful because it's a kind of a thing that was an art form that got maligned for a long time, I think. It was like, put it in the air, put it in the air. But the way they hammer this ball, they hammer the ball across the six yard box and that we see it time and again. And it's such an old school skill but the way they execute it, especially Holland, and I want to give credit to his playmaking there because I think there's a danger in his goal scoring exploits of losing the other parts of his game. But he's so well integrated into what City, in what City do is an outlet pass and a counter. Um, he holds the play up. He lets the tempo slow down. He doesn't, he's not just like gunning it all the time. This is the thing. He's not just some kind of like rampaging. I actually wish he was. I wish he was just a kind of rampaging Buffalo. that it would be easier to stop because he'd be like, okay, he likes to rampage. No, this. This Buffalo, this Python likes to chill, as you say. Mm. This is why he's dangerous because he's so good at like stop-start. He's so good at regulating the ball. And he's, he's just highly intelligent at that too. So, yeah. yeah. And we've gone really. very
0: long on, this, on on City and Manchester United, but we also need to big up Mamola Kanji because I think Yes, that yes. I'm, I There's two things with, with this. I think it highlights how good a centre-back can be when you're not having people just running at you all the time. But Kanji's ceiling is extremely high Mm. and I think that what you're seeing is a player who has gone into a, a, a different environment but obviously a, you know, it's a different ball game that Manchester City are playing a lot of the time, especially with the finance and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Kanji's gone in there and he's just nudged his level up a little bit because I think he's being pushed. More. Well, it's the
2: irony. Dortmund, for, for all their defensive challenges, have some really lovely yeah. defensive players. Yeah, like Zag- Zagadu is a beautiful footballer, just needed a bit more. Um, I, think it was, I think Dortmund's problem has been seniority.
0: Yeah. And the Zagadu thing just in terms of like the injury and the same with the Kanji but, actually as but well. There's
2: also, even, even, even when he was fit, there was an issue, I think, mm-hmm. of just the seniority when you need that kind of um, senior partner in, in the defence yeah. to bring you along. And he didn't really get that. Um, but yeah, I'm really happy for Kanji. And Ake as well. Ake brought the ball out beautifully a couple of times yeah really really good so um, it really fix some problems so, there
0: a lot of a lot of po- plus points for city yep
2: yeah, yeah. i think like, um, we we went long on that but i think you need to when i think a team puts in a performance like that you just yeah. need to give credit i think
0: yeah yeah let's take a break and then let's move on to another
1: derby it. this episode is brought to you by jiffy lube cars can be a big investment so it's important Get your oil change, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com.
0: two minutes into stoppage time at the end of the game I found the North London derby extremely hard to enjoy I did not I was so nervous and I think this is so Arsenal 3 Spurs 1 a very good performance from Arsenal Mm. they even survived their traditional little wobble against Spurs where they gave away a penalty Harry Kane scored it other than that though I think that this is a really encouraging thing for Arsenal to take away from it is that I was actually chatting to Tayo Pupula on Friday, Shasta Tayo, uh, and he, he, you know, we were both kind of having a little bit of a like, oh, I'm scared about the weekend. But I was saying, I'm actually a little bit less worried about being hurt defensively this time because I just think Saliba can shut down Harry Kane. He's outstanding. And he kind of did. In fact, Saliba kind of shut everyone down.
2: Saliba did that thing that centre-backs do when they're really dominant is that they start making an impact in the final third. Sorry. They just keep he advancing kn- up the field. Yeah, He
0: nutmegged someone. In his own box. In his own box. In his own box. The I think, personally, I know there are a lot of big performers, but I genuinely think Saliba was, was player of the match. I would agree with that. Because his impact, yeah, his impact on the game. Arsenal was so good going forward, and that's fine. They created chances. Just, I think Arsenal totally deserved to win the game. Spurs had one chance where Aaron Ramsdale made a really good save, but I think it would have been given offside if it had gone to VAR. Um, mm. There was a touch onto Richarlison, Richarlison was in an offside position when that touch happened, and then I think he would have been given offside. Mm. Um, that and one other chance where Kane smacked it just wide from way out on the right-hand side, those are only really the two chances that I can remember Spurs having in the first half before the penalty. Can I say, I was, I was
2: surprised at how much better Arsenal were than Spurs. Like I really thought they were significant. Uh, this is I, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, because, let's,
0: do you want to go there? Do you want we well, yeah. to talk about the individual goals and stuff? I mean, everyone would have seen them by now. They were great well, goals.
2: I would just. Well, it wasn't even the individual goals. It was just the fact that like Arsenal got what they wanted. They got the possession they wanted. They mm. got the territory they wanted. They created the opportunities they wanted. If you look at all the, um, just to quickly refer one more time to the Manchester derby, the concerning thing for United was that every single one of the City goals. Was uh, a deconstruction of cities of a uh, United's tactical plan, whereas United had to feed off scraps, spectacular goals, penalties here and there. You know, Arsenal's goals were structured. Mm. They were structured and they were, and they were different. You know, there was, you were scoring from distance or you're um, coming in from close range. And then you had players like Martinelli. And Martinelli, what I love about him, he talked about freedom in the previous uh, segment, talking about in the derby, playing with freedom. The thing about Martinelli is so great is that he is allowed to proceed almost as if stats don't matter. And whereas some footballers like Grealish see that as a bit of a kind of, I think a hindrance. Grealish Mm. is clearly someone who's bothered by the fact that his stats aren't high. You know, Martinelli's strike rate, if you look at how dangerous he is for Arsenal and look at his strike rate, you think, well, it's actually not that bad. But what he does is he unpicks so many parts of a defence. I don't know if I've seen a footballer who's quicker at running with the ball under his foot Martinelli. A that period, to I told the Martinelli. The period in the first half where he's running at almost full speed, full sprint, and he's running he's run the ball under his like studs. Mm. Like, this is the thing, like Arsenal's ability to change gear and seize momentum whenever they wanted it in a way that Spurs couldn't. And we've talked before about Spurs' um, lack of a creative midfielder that progresses the ball. Someone like uh, a Kovacic Someone like, and I was always concerned when I saw that midfield of Benton Court and Hoybia, the centre mid, I'm like, you, a Champions League, a, a Championship winning midfield, a Premier League winning midfield, it needs a player more in the mould of a Kovacic or to do Kovacic or Kante type things. And they don't have that Spurs. And I know they couldn't get Malinowski in the window because Atalanta said we not selling, but they do need that type of player there to open teams up. And it just felt like Arsenal had Arsenal had five or six players in their front six that could do that at any one time. And that, I think, was the key difference. And then, and can I say finally of all, just for Chaka, a big shout out for him, because Oh my God. Just, you know, it, Chaka's performance and his, what, renaissance almost, it's been beautiful to watch and I'm really happy for him. I'm happy that he's now, he's showing them what I always was raving about with Gladback when he did it there. And I'm so glad he's now become Gladback chaka That's like... It's my dream to see that for him. And I'm really happy for him.
0: We said this before, but he came out of all or nothing with the award for best rep, I think, or best rep improvement, let's say, Mm. because he just came across so well. And you actually saw, I think, I mean, obviously you don't see everything with those kind of shows, but I think you saw why numerous managers really, really rate him and really trust him. Mm. Like straight after the opening goal, getting everyone in the huddle, even though uh, Erdogan is the captain, Xhaka is basically a captain mm. and that focus and that kind of awareness now because he's not because he's in, a, he's in a midfield that he's looking really, really balanced and he's essentially doing a role which minimizes his flaws mm. or minimizes his flaws being exposed and maximizes his qualities he can actually focus on being a leader as well mm. the, th- the thing that I really love about this is that he doesn't shy away from what happened a few years ago he references it yeah. And he's just like, it's really great to, to hit, you know, I've been, he said after the game, I've been in seven years and what happened three years ago to think that it, it can be where it is now. You know, I never would have thought this. Do you know what I, I really like about it in a, in a, in a bit of a. Idealistic. Yeah, maybe. It's just actually so many times in football specifically, we look at one situation with a footballer on a football pitch and it's just like, there is nothing that is going to change anyone's mind from that. Mm. Do you know what I mean?
2: But you mentioned it's like Hollywood actors. You mentioned this kind of idea before, but like you'll have those actors or comedians who go through a really tough run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they just get like yeah, someone, believe, someone believes someone believes them again. I yeah. mean, like remember John Travolta was completely out of the loop till Pulp Fiction came along, and yeah. then it was like, and he was back. It's yeah. like that. You really and there's some people you kind of and it like, he wasn't he, playing his best, but there are yeah. some man, there are some players that you do root for actually. Yeah,
0: and also you, uh, yeah, I think it's easy to forget. This was a guy in his early mid twenties. Yeah, people grow. Like there's a lot of growth that takes place around that time. And I think that as an individual, he's really matured and he's, so many people would have been out of there. It's very actually. rare to be a footballer that comes back from the brink like that.
2: Like that's an incredible mm-hmm. mental strength. You know, yeah. to, Cause you know, football is, it's ruthless. You know, look at um, elite footballers like the Whitewater Rapids, right? Mm. Once you go under, it's very hard to get your head back above that. And I think, you know, you can actually look at the amount of footballers who've done that. I, I can't remember many examples off of my head where a footballer for an elite team, a leading team, high profile team has gone that far under and come back. I think maybe it Jordan Henderson, actually.
0: Yeah, yeah maybe. Yeah. He's I Jordan Henderson. Who showed a willingness to want to do that there and not just bounce. And because it's not a very different thing. I think that, that that's a very, it's not an easy thing to do because I mean, it's, you, you you've got to up. And it's you, no coincidence.
2: People. It's no coincidence that those are both midfielders mm. who play that kind of self-sacrificial role, who do jobs that a lot of people tactically won't understand. I include myself in that. I'm not trying to say that I'm wiser than the average football fan. I'm really not. What I'm saying is that
0: there's a lot of the times when
2: (laughs) (laughs) wiser than the average. Just a lot of times in football when you watch, um, you watch players do certain things that only those within the dressing room understand, Mm. and sometimes only those in the coaching staff understand. A bit like Grealish's criticism that he's getting now. Like Mm. Grealish is clearly doing things for City that are working extremely well. That if you look at the, the stat breakdown of what he's meant to be doing, outstanding, but people lose patience because the stats aren't filling up with their assists mm. and goals and Chaka had that problem and it's just really good to see him at the heart of something
0: you know, quite exciting for Arsenal. Let's talk about Spurs a little bit. So, yes, I don't think the red card changed the game at all. No. I don't think it changed the flow of the game. I don't think it really, I don't think it changed massively the way that Spurs were playing. No, I don't think so either. I can understand why some people are a bit annoyed that it was a red. Uh, I think it's, it's more dangerous than it looks, that tackle. It's way more painful than it looks. I, I thought actually Taylor, Taylor refereed this really well. I
2: actually I thought, thought he quite well. I wanted to just mention that because sometimes refs don't get the credit. Yeah, but yeah. I thought Anthony Taylor, considering the context of this game, this is one of the most important North London derbies in a while. In terms of not only the, um, in terms of the investment that both teams have made, right? Mm. Like they're teams, that they've got enough depth to make a really good run at something this season. Whatever also, whoever in, whoever yeah. won
0: the game would have finished the day top. Do, do
2: that makes sense. So it felt like a really important derby and Taylor came into all of that and I thought quitted himself really well, um, including yeah. the red cards, which ended, which, which had not been a very good afternoon for Royal anyway, to be honest. no.
0: Um, so let's talk about Spurs very quickly because we've talked a lot about Spurs so far about maybe the, the results masking the actual performances. Mm-hmm. And that there is an issue there. The thing that was holding it at bay were the results. So the only drop points they'd had in the league were Chelsea away and West Ham away. Two games which, to be honest, if you get out of there with a point, especially for Spurs against West Ham, which is just a horrible fixture, they hate each other. (laughs) Mm. And Chelsea and Spurs are not friends either. Those are the only games they dropped points in the Premier League this season. And I think that this was probably the first game where their performance, what's the word? They maybe got what they deserved, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the absence of Kuleszewski is also huge. It was massive. Huge. Huh? I have to. We have to we have to say that. Yeah, yeah. But Son, Richarlison, and Kane as a front three is. It's not a clown show. No, it's pretty decent. Yeah, you know, if you're going to play the way that Spurs
2: are going to play with the wing backs, the back three, and then that front three, which is outstanding, and I thought Richarlison was really, mm. really good actually, I and mean, he delivered, kind of what I was expecting. Mm. Combative, smart, good movement. I just think didn't have enough service really, but he caused trouble in vital gaps. And the ability to find him, I think was crucial uh, in this game. And it it was a strange thing because I don't think Spurs' front three really failed them actually. Mm. Uh, I don't think they got too much wrong. It was just, they almost seemed isolated from their midfield and the rest of the pitch. Um, And this was again, like the fullbacks didn't have, the wingbacks didn't have their best game for Spurs either. Mm. So yeah, maybe a, a bit of a, a bit of a drawing board moment for, for Conte and just thinking about how to handle games like this because this is going to be a problem that recurs for them. Yeah. It's going to be a problem that recurs.
0: So, Arsenal top of the league still yeah. 21 mm. points. Only Everton have conceded fewer goals than Arsenal. Good win for them, Everton as well with a 2-1 against really Southampton. Really good win against Southampton. Yeah. Um, big win for Newcastle with yeah. a lovely goal from Almiron. Oh my goodness, yeah. That's, that's basically goal of the season lockdown, isn't it? It's basically think, done. <laughs> it's basically done, isn't it? You might as well just like not bother. Just like, <laughs> no, 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 it's going to be. Okay, and, uh, McAllister from Brighton is just like what the fuck. We have seen really? some delightful down, goals, and now I'm like, well, we'll get to Brighton in a sec. Actually, yeah, we will do. But yeah, an amazing goal, and impre- that's probably I think the most impressive I've seen Newcastle this season. They were really good. Yeah, uh, Chelsea with a last minute winner over Crystal Palace, thanks, Conor Gallagher. Gallagher. Oh, hashtag narrative. It's a great goal. No celebration. I know well, you know, just he's a polite boy. Respectful, yeah.
2: Debut goal for Abamyang as well. Yeah. Yeah.
0: West Ham being Wolves 2-0 which cost Bruno Lage his job. And mm. uh, I don't think he can have many complaints about that Wolves have been a tough watch for quite a while. Yeah. Yeah, that's... And they've spent a lot of money as well to be that much of a tough watch. Yeah. Maybe we'll pick up a little bit more on Wolves when they name a, a successor. Yeah. But talking of successors, well actually before we do Leeds nil Villa nil a very fiery game and uh, probably my so far my my shout for the uh, no folks given red card of the season from Luis Sinistera, who was on a yellow and was just like, I'm just going to dangle my leg out for no reason. <laughs> to feel something. It wasn't even existential. It was just more of a like a fuck around and find out yellow, you know, <laughs> and uh, he found out and he was off. Feisty game there. It was a good game to watch, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I think both teams would be uh, a little bit kind of annoyed that they didn't get the points, especially Villa because Villa, Villa were really good actually compared to what Villa have been like recently. They created so much. Mm-hmm. I think Steven Gerrard would be a little bit more happy out of the two. But Jesse Marshall afterwards was just complaining about them slowing the game down. Come on. Come on, Jesse. Come on. Uh, anyway, Liverpool three, Brighton three. And we need to be quick on this because we're running super long and we've got loads to get through. So. And I, feel,
2: I feel bad we're running quick yeah, on this because I know. But you know, can I say it? Okay, so let's just be you know, what, if we give it, if we just blast it for five minutes of pure praise, we can do it. Blast it for five minutes of pure praise, Musa.
0: Yeah. Okay. Let's, okay, here's what we're gonna do. let's do it. <laughs> You're going to leave that in, aren't that you? That should be a new segment, right? Musa's five minute blast of praise. Okay. Do you know what? Songs of praise, blasts of praise.
2: <laughs> Reverend O'Kwonga's blasts of Props praise. Props of praise. going of gonna praise. Yeah. Reverend O'Kwonga. O'Kwonga's of praise. O'Kwonga's of praise. <laughs> 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 Uh, uh. Okay, so but can we I have just to say, record them on a Sunday night. Absolutely, can I say Sunday sessions? Listen, Sunday <laughs> sessions with like choral
0: music in the background. You should.
2: <laughs> can I say, listen? Huge shout out to Brighton for what they did at Anfield. Three-three, and <laughs> that I, was so I fucking I, good, man. I, I, here's the thing. I, I even love the fact that they got the late equaliser because that gave them the last mm-hmm. bit of catharsis. It was much better that they went. Because it went 2 0 up, then it was 2 1, then 2 all, then 3 2 down. I'm really happy it ended up 3 3 with them getting the equaliser as opposed to being pulled back to 3 3. And here's why the way that Brighton started this game, the first 20 minutes in particular were absolutely spectacular. The level of Brighton's quality, it was like they're playing a home game. And it was like it wasn't Liverpool. Like Brighton scored twice. And in that time, Liverpool barely had enjoyable possession. The tactical, the plant is Trossard in the front two alongside Welbeck, spectacular. The fact that they've lost Cucurella and they feel like they've almost improved, and this is not disrespectful to Cucurella, let me be very quick like to say that. Sonny March outstanding. Webster, outstanding. Like this Veltman, all these players just interchanging, interlocking. Like It was, it was magnificent. They were 2-0 up against Liverpool at Anfield and it was utterly deserved. This wasn't some counter attack, you know, catch them on the break, catch them high. No, it was no. like, no, we're going to converge and encroach on the edge of their box, and we're going to play through them. This was spectacular from Deserbi in his first game. It was absolutely spectacular.
0: It was so good, man. Honestly, and this was a glimpse of what to expect. Like we talked yeah. about the passing patterns, and there were some, there <laughs> was were some magical, unbelievable was, patterns of play I all, from there. I was
2: actually laughing. I was laughing.
0: It was so good. Like anyone who's using this as an excuse to start talking about Trent's defensive ability needs to just save it for another one because well, first of all, I'm kind of bored of that conversation anyway because I just think it's people people do this they find this one thing to pick on, and that's just it you know mm. over and over and over again
2: right Liverpool have problems that are structural systemic problems in that team like we've sort we've talked about changing a lot of parts at once yeah um you know it just. It, it's a strange one because you have like Mo Salah, you know, he got a great assist actually for Firmino. Mm-hmm. Not out of the loop, but a little bit maybe isolated. You've got the midfield is, 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 is suboptimal. And this was the first game, actually, I'm going to be honest about this, Ryan. This was the first game and I know that Liverpool has plenty more football to play this season. This was the first game where i watched them and thought, I'm not sure they end up top two. Like, you know, as in the, you know, as in what I mean by that is, and it's not to knock them because there's lots of people to play. Watch them, I thought to myself, there's just some very, very, very good teams ahead of you in the queue. And you're in a season of transition. This is not a knock on Liverpool. They're in a season of transition and maybe there are too many things to fix in the next few months for them to come top 2 I'm not sure who the, the second team will be and I think it will be City that win because City look extraordinary, right? Like even with some of the hiccups we've seen defensively from them, particularly against Newcastle, I still think City win the league. But if you say to me, like, who is the second place team? It's the first time I watched Liverpool and thought, you might actually, um," I'm not saying it won't be Champions League, I think they'll, you know, but it was the first time I saw them and thought you might actually struggle. Just the way that Brighton imposed themselves, because it's one thing, look, it's one thing playing against Liverpool at Anfield and getting like a, a couple of goals on the counter. It's another one going there and fully just acting like it's your home ground. Mm. And I haven't seen that I Haven't seen that happen at Anfield in a while, to be honest. Not like that, not like that. And that, that's credit to Deserby, that's credit to Brighton. The speed that he's picked up, the reins, and this is credit to the recruitment of Brighton as well, because like, he's an incredible coach, we knew this before. But just watching the control and watching the joy, actually. And I, I think I'm really happy for Brighton as well, because this could have been a season where it's like, oh my God, we're mourning Potter. But whatever they achieve this year, it's going to be fun.
0: You know, we talked about how um, when they fired Chris Hughton and brought in Graham Potter, it was like Southampton firing Nigel Atkins and bringing in Pochettino. Yeah, yeah. De is Cumin because after Poch, Cooman took them to two successive finishes that were higher than what Poch took them to at Southampton.
2: Which is wild. People don't often remember that or think about that, that he actually made them better. Um, but this is again, credit to the work that posted at the groundwork, credit to the Brighton players, it was spectacular. Um, could almost name all of them. And even Sanchez, who had like one mistake, had a great redemptive moment with a great save from Trent Leighton. Mm. So even, even players in the Brighton team that made some mistakes made up for it in a very redemptive way. So yeah, just a, a thrilling performance. And I wanted to say thank you to both teams for 90 minutes that really brightened up, you know, a wet, wet and windy weekend so yeah
0: just very quickly while we were recording the draw for the Women's Champions League has taken place oh my goodness yes what a tournament and, that is uh, we have some tricky groups what have we got what are we saying what, what are we looking at so Group A Chelsea, PSG, Real Madrid Vlasnia group, <laughs> that's horrible yeah Group B Wolfsburg, Prague, St. Paul Roma Group C is Leon Arsenal Juventus, Zurich and Group D is Barca, Bayern Rosenghor and Fika I think the fixtures are announced this evening and uh, I am going to a few. I'm going. i am just decided I'm going to go. I'm going to go. Group A is, is brutal, Ryan. Yeah, it is. Yikes, yikes. We need to talk about a couple of things very, very quickly. So uh, let's just have a look and see if we've got any questions. Let's do it. Right, let's, do, let's use this to talk about Serie A super quickly. Chris Sibbons, is Rafa out the best player in Serie A right now? I think he's in for a shout. No, it's Kroos Oh, yes, you're right, Ashley. It yeah. is, it is.
2: Closely oh, followed by right. Anguissa. Mm. Actually, you could argue that maybe there are like three Napoli players who are top three in, in Serie A. Mm. You could argue that. Um,
0: Roma coming from 1-0 down, by the way, this weekend to beat Inter yeah. 2-1 at San Siro. Ten- winning header from, from Chris, Chris Smalling. Chris Smalling. And we actually had a question from Scott Munro who said Chris Smalling for England. And this is really interesting because I've raised this very possibility with someone last week when uh, a lot of people were talking about England centre-backs. I was like, Chris Smalling's right there and he's really quite good. And Do you know, I, I think harmed him though, it's the passing. Maybe, but I think he'd be a good one in the squad. Oh yeah, if, I, think, if, I, think, England, I think so. If England are going to persevere with a three, there's space. Actually. I, think,
2: I think that's really, you know what, first of all, that's a great shout. I think, look, I mean, when, when Smalling was at United, it was interesting because Mourinho had him passing to the fullback so often and never had him playing forward. And it's funny because being coached by Mourinho Mourinho has a funny thing where he coaches you once and you think he doesn't really fancy you right because mm. of the way he uses you then he coaches you again and he gives you freedom mm. you kind of saw it a little bit with Mikatarian where he was like oh like he really enjoys having this guy in his lineup," despite like not having him giving the, the best platform before and uh, that's a great shout for Smalling and that's a great win for Roma uh, I think they came from behind actually in that game too yeah
0: yeah they were all nil no down yeah Really it was a impressive really good game, by the way. To be honest, there were some great the games Derby. Milan the Derby della the Derby Jose. Yeah, Derby Della Jose. <laughs> Although, was della really M- there? Was because he? he was uh...
2: Derby Della Mourinho? Sounds even better, yeah, actually. Yeah. Um, he was in the car, wasn't he in the car? Oh, no, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> um, Sharing foot pics on his Instagram again. <laughs> <laughs> only, a fucking, only, he's feets. such, a, he's such only... A, Yeah, he is, man.
2: Mis- so there was. Um, he's naughty. There was a. Uh, a great win for Milan over Empoli, the three one mm. win. Uh four goals coming basically at the end of the game in after ninety minutes. Uh but yeah, the Napoli got a great win over Torino, three one, really good win there, solid. Atalanta got a really good win, I think one nil, I think it was for them over was it Fiorentina? Um and the event is showing signs of life, they had a three-nil. So yeah, Serie A, just a great league.
0: Uh, yeah, good win for you, That much needed win, actually. That's yeah, their first really win since they beat Spezia 2-0 in August, in any competition. Anything you want to touch on elsewhere? We've, I know we've skipped around a little bit this week. Just Lewandowski's goal for uh, Barcelona
2: against Mallorca. I'm just really happy for Balde doing well there as um, uh, a left-back. It's a tough role to fill uh, mm. as, as a full-back for Barca, but he's doing really well. Lewandowski got a beauty. And this is the thing, the goal that he scored, the nature of it, it just goes to show like what an elite striker can do. And Barcelona looking good. Uh, yeah. One thing I want to mention quickly, um, obviously we could talk about Real Madrid, they got the draw, Benzema hit the crossbar with the penalty, but one thing to talk about very quickly, just in Germany, I think yeah. it's worth having a quick chat about Germany before we bounce.
0: Yeah, uh, big shout out to Köln who beat Dortmund 3-2 uh, really in Köln. Win but Great win there. Was, and do you know what? They did really well, I think, because uh, you could look at the breakdown as the stats here and think like, oh, Dortmund should have won this game, but Köln just had this uh, they, they, it's the resilience they, it it's is the resilience. resilience in the past games like this you would kind of expect them to just capitulate fumble it a bit mm. but under Baumgart they seem to have this inner like this this little bit of an additional inner strength that I think they can just, hang
2: tough for a long time
0: they really like can because Dortmund you know what it is they are now they are now a very very difficult team to beat right yeah Cologne like they've only lost once this season top three are the only other sides in the Bundesliga who have only lost one game this season The Bundesliga this year is really good. fucking wild. Like, Union lost 2-0 to Eintracht on the weekend. There's a big win for Eintracht Yeah, yeah. yeah. But Freiburg won uh, 2-1 against Mainz, which means that they're level on points at the top with Union. They're only second on goal difference. Bayern obviously absolutely hammered Leverkusen on Friday, and they really needed that result because they've not been that good for a little bit, Bayern. Although, to be honest, I think beating Leverkusen at the moment doesn't really tell you that much about your football team because they are struggling.
2: Do you know, here's the wild thing about the Bundesliga, right? You just mentioned that uh, Dortmund have lost three times in eight games. They're only two points off the lead. Yeah, I know. This is the thing. And this is my one concern for Dortmund, I would say, right? It's going to come down to firepower this year. Yeah,
0: yeah. And they're and finishing. Yeah. And Le- Daniel I mean, Marlin, Marlin's finishing yeah. has been uh, Again, more pressure on Makoko. Yeah. They lost Sebastian Haller, obviously, because of his recovery. And we just, you know, still fingers crossed that yeah. he comes through all that, all good, and hope he's doing okay. But, you know, just... They brought Anthony Modeste in and yeah. that's, that's a very, like a temporary. Well, all in, here's the thing. i was, I put it this way. All injuries are awful, right?
2: Yeah. And there are some that are particularly awful. And for Dortmund on and off the field, I just thought they can't catch a break here because Halaire would have been, yeah. abs- the way they so play good. would have been perfect. Yeah. As a profile of striker, the accomplishments he has, and those players like Marlon Modeste, they're very good footballers. Mm. They're just not what he they don't bring what he brings. Mm. And there's another universe in which Haller is playing for Dortmund. And I think scoring freely for them. I think yeah, he works I for agree. them in that system. So yeah, yeah. real shame. But, but they're still hanging tough. Union's still top, and deservedly so. Um, um, shout out to Werder
0: yeah. Bremen, beat Gladbach 5-1. Oh, Verde. They, they, and uh, Michael Rosa is doing a decent job at RB Leipzig. Uh, two for Werner, uh, two for Nkuk- uh, Kuku.
2: He's on his way to Chelsea. It looks like.
0: Apparently so. Um, yeah. But then will yeah. he be back at? Will we, Will he be back at RB Leipzig in a couple of years? Who knows?
2: Who knows? Who can say? Who knows? After Chelsea, Arthur Chelsea win another Champions League.
0: Oh. <laughs> Who um, can say? And then uh, here Drew with Hoffenheim. Schalke lost at home three two to Augsburg. Um, but yeah, uh, the Bundesliga is super fun. Super super duper fun. Um, I think we're probably going to have to leave it there for today. I think that's right. Uh, But we're back on Thursday, Champions League stuff, and maybe we can touch on some other bits and bobs there. But, um, yeah, hope everyone's staying safe. Well, don't forget to check the Stadio Outro's place on Spotify. Speaking of which, playing out on Q, the voice of Q, the 12-inch mix. Any other questions? Nothing further. I'm all good. I'm think, all good. I
2: think we've forgotten something, but I, it doesn't matter. There's always something. This is football. There's hey, always something.
0: Good thing about this, there always another podcast. Exactly.
2: Hey.
0: <laughs> uh, much love, everyone. Don't forget to check his house up on Tuesday afternoon, evening, and we'll be back with you on Thursday. See you then.